0: Here we go, my name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 603. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, how are you going to title it there, sweetie?
1: Well, I was thinking about this because the what we're going to share is about creativity, but it's not creativity in the way that people think of creativity. So... I think the way I want to say this is that we are going to discuss how what we love to do and what we can offer is why we are here and that we have to uh, downplay what society tells us, which is we have to compete for being the best and instead just enjoy our creative impulses because our habitual impulses like I need to get up, I need to make the bed, I need to, you know, go be this parent, I need to, you know, check my email. Those are like habitual, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm saying that in air quotes. But our creative impulses, and we'll get we'll get deeper into that, are really why we're here. That's a different thing.
0: As opposed to maybe we'll do it after we get all our stuff done today.
1: Correct. And, you know, this kind of, you know, this is a weird word. Harkens back. What? Did you just harkens. say harkens? Yeah, is that a word? I'm Have trying you to use, ever new words. use that word. No, but it works well. It sounds like something I would hear back.
0: in English class sophomore I'm, year. I
1: know. I'm looking it up, and it says what is another word for harken back? Recall or revisit? Okay. okay, So let's use those. Let's revisit. <laughs> <laughs> it just came into my head. Sweetie, use your creativity. Well, and I was going to say, I write for a living, right? All I do when I sit down is just try and come up with better words.
0: I do this for a loving Mr.
1: Bong. <laughs> exactly. What's so, that from, sweetie? I think it's from Father of the Bride. Yes, it is. So sometimes when I read something I've written, I do take out those kind of words because I'm like, I don't talk that way, but I do write that way sometimes. Anyway, this goes back to... Way back when, everybody, um, remembering uh, Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, which she's going to do a deep dive with on her podcast, which I'm excited because I probably used that book more than any other book um, in my college class. But anyway, about the importance of creativity and play in that we cannot like n- unused creativity actually metastasizes and makes us sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... But then everyone will say, "Well, okay, but I don't, I don't want to paint." And it's like it doesn't have to be that. Like you just said, it could be finding new words. It could be, you know, playing games. It could be the way that you're leading. It could be the way that you are dancing or moving or the music you're listening to. Creativity is like so much bigger than writing a poem. Absolutely, even though writing a poem is, sure. is it too. So, I I feel like we're going to use um, where this came from is Jody Comer over the weekend who I follow because my daughter loves her and now I love her. Um, She's an actress who's in Killing Eve. Um, She put on her story this clip of Ethan Hawke's TED Talk about creativity, and I watched it over and over again, and I reposted it and had good conversations with people. And then when I showed it to Todd, he said, you said you guys already used this as a men living discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's already aware of it. So I'm like, let's talk about
0: this. I ended up writing um, a poem, I guess, or maybe a short essay. And it was posted on the men living newsletter, which I didn't think it was, but Sean just kind of put it in there. So, And that's the thing, like I need an excuse to get my creative juices flowing. And that excuse was that meeting. If we didn't have that meeting, I probably never would have done it because I'm too busy checking things off my list.
1: Well, and I am finding that my creativity, so my, and and I, I think you have things to say before we dig into this show.
0: Sure, I do.
1: Do we need to hearken back?
0: Yeah, let's hearken back. (laughs) And gosh!
1: I know that is gross. I don't know why I said that.
0: Um, so we, Kathy does this thing called Zen Parenting Moment. It comes out Tuesdays and Fridays. And last Tuesday, she came out with something called Life Force. And I'm going to read the quote that she, she always puts a quote at the beginning. And if you want to subscribe to it, just scroll up on the show notes of this podcast. And it's like, a, you click the link and you put in your name and email address. So hopefully you do that. Life Force. There's a vitality a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and will be lost. Right. Thank you, whoever Martha, Martha Graham Martha
1: Graham is a dancer. And I. why I love that is because this this then goes against the idea that Well, someone already wrote that book or someone already writes poetry like that or somebody already does artwork filled with flowers because that doesn't matter because it hasn't come through you yet. Mm -hmm. And you something coming through you is its own unique thing that will never, ever, ever happen again. Now, someone else is going to paint flowers, and someone else is going to write a similar book, and someone else is going to write poetry, but it will never, ever, ever look like yours. So this this uh, writing that I did for Life Force, I used that quote, but it was really about uh, Petra Conti, who is a Italian ballet dancer, and about her quote that she said in an article that I was reading. And her quote was, I don't know if this gift of dancing is for other people to enjoy or for me to live. Do I dance for the people to touch their hearts or do I dance for my own well-being? And when I read that, I was like, both. Yeah. It just, you know, my whole body screamed like both. Like if you are given, if you recognize, realize that you have something that you love, and it could come from natural talent or it could be something you love working at, you know, like I think about Todd. Todd was not a professional baseball player, um, correct? <laughs> correct? Todd was not a professional baseball player, but Todd loves baseball. And so that is a part of your play and your joy, mm-hmm. not only playing, but watching it, talking about it. Yeah. So we can say, well, he wasn't professional, so that really wasn't his gift. Yeah. But it is part of his joy, which innately goes to connection with his play. Which means it's a part of who he is. We This is, again, going to the, what I was just saying about we compete. And then we decide you're either good or bad at something. And if you're not good enough, then therefore it is not your gift and you should just give it up. And, you know, that's that's a problem. And, and our school and our education perpetuates it. And drives that point home and makes it difficult. You know, like one of the things that makes me so upset, Todd, mm. in schools, and everyone's gonna be like, "Well, duh, Kathy, this is important." A kid wants to do something. They want to play a game. They want to be on a team. They want to be part of something that they really love. And the sport cuts them.
0: Mm. Sweetie doesn't like cuts. And and Sweetie, I know Dan Asness, sixth grade. I remember he was the best ba- basketball player on my team. And was the first cut. So he was like as good as me, but I just barely beat him. And he was totally crying in in, in math class in sixth grade.
1: Well, th- that's an example of it. Totally. Where I don't... We, it,
0: we can't find a place for him to play.
1: You, yeah. Like you, you've got a kid who wants to do this thing and you have to say, no, you don't get to. Mm-hmm. Because you can't keep up with A, B, C, and D, and we don't want to teach you, and we don't want you to watch and learn from them, and we don't want you on this team. Now, I know that coaches listening to this and people in the school system or people in travel leagues are going to say, well, we can only have so many, or I understand that, but you can build anything for anything. Meaning, if a bunch of kids want to play basketball, you have five teams, you have six teams. So quick time machine to DeKalb, Illinois. Uh What... Basketball
0: level or softball? You it was always like B four. Oh,
1: that was my basketball in middle school. And I was
0: like B three. So I just <laughs> find it interesting how many there because we had one team.
1: Well, you either made it or you didn't. Here's the thing: is first of all, it was middle school. Second of all. I think my school at the time in the 80s really kind of did exactly what I'm saying, which mm-hmm. they had A1, A2, A3. We didn't have that. B1, we had one b 2 B3, and B4. Yeah. Um, and you know what happens by the next year or the next year? A lot of those kids are like, okay, I tried it. It's not my thing. And they move on. And again, I think a lot of people listening who are coaches will say, well, you can do that when you're younger. You can try different things. But we have this thing where we cut people off like we'll be like if you haven't chosen what you like by ten, y- you're screwed,
0: sweetie. You were B three,
1: in in ba- basketball. Yes.
0: What yes. about those suckers in B four?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? The only thing I liked about basketball was the spray bottles that you would drink out of in between playing. You would squeeze them, and they had the long That's like
0: such a th- interesting thing.
1: Well, and I loved that part. So I was like, okay, I'll play the games because in between I will and. Obviously, that wasn't my natural skill or even the game I like to play or yeah, watch. Right. There was other games you're that I loved. trying it out. I was trying it out, which is the whole point of being a human. And I'm not even going to say a kid. I'm going to say a human. Because what happens, which you're going to play here um, when we get more into Ethan Hawke's TED Talk, is how we get to a point then as adults where he talks about you have to be willing to play a fool. Mm-hmm. You ha- you know, He's talking literally as an actor but you have to be willing to be like, yeah, I did this. And people are like, oh, but you weren't good or you weren't as good as. And it's like, but yeah, but I did it because it felt good and I tried it. Um, like one thing that I have found that's interesting is that once you're doing something like Skyler and I both got really into painting on canvas about two or three months ago. And. I don't have any... We didn't take a class. We didn't do... Actually, she did take a class from our place in town, but it didn't really teach her how to paint. It just t- It was a one-night thing. Yeah, it was thing. a one-night thing. And we just started painting. Mm-hmm. We got acrylic paints and we started painting on canvas. And some of them ended up beautiful. Mm-hmm. I And I really enjoyed it. And she really enjoyed it. And then we've kind of turned that in. Like yesterday, we spent part of the day, or she did it more, painting her mirror. Mm-hmm. And we painted the window. And... Is it professional? Like there's like in our town for pride because I painted something for pride on our window of our our house. And there are people around town who are professionals who are painting the windows downtown businesses. And they are professional and they're amazing. Right. They're the kind of things you come out and see. So
0: do yours is better.
1: It's not better. It's but it's fine. It's my expression of, you know, this house being celebrating pride, mm-hmm. right? And this is what I have to offer. And yeah. it's not, no one's gonna pay me for it, right? but it sure feels good. And my point is, is that if someone's like, but yeah, you could've had a professional do it. It's like, yeah, but then you miss- The opportunity. The opportunity. And same with your poetry. Mm-hmm. You could read Walt Whitman, mm-hmm. and you know, you could read mm-hmm. Mary Oliver, and be like, well, this is poetry, but what about the Martha Graham thing? What comes through you? Mm-hmm.
0: What makes you come alive? Yeah, what and, feels right, and that maybe come alive might even be overstating. Like what? Where do you feel in flow or scared? I mean, doesn't you know when you're writing a song or writing a poem or doing doing any form of expression, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, like your purpose. Like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. No. Can, it, can it just be in that moment? This feels
1: right. And that's kind of why I brought in Brené Brown's research about. Creativity, and she's not the only one who studied it. You know, um, what's his name? I think Stuart Brown studied play, Dr. Brown, another Brown. Um, And all these people who study, and I mean, anybody in the arts, anybody who teaches in the arts discusses how art and creativity is not something that's nice. It's something that's necessary.
0: So I got two quick stories, and then maybe we'll get into Ethan Hawke. Good. Um, one is, I grew up playing sports and felt very safe and secure and confident. And then when, so then as an adult we go to family camp and there's talent shows. And I realized <laughs> that I'm not trained to do anything that belongs in a talent show. <laughs> so in a way, I feel like it was all my friends who, got into music and did all these wonderful things like this is their moment because sports is such an accepted thing for probably girls and boys, but for boys it was oxygen.
1: It's a little safer as far as this is my team, this is what I do, this is, I'm accepted, this is, uh, the school supports it. And
0: I felt, um, this is overstating, but shameful. Like I didn't, oops, forgot to turn off my email. Sorry, everybody. Um, I felt like less than. Mm. You know what I mean? And I feel like I deserved it because I was probably the the one making fun of the kid who's playing the violin in mm, sixth grade. Yeah. So it's almost like what goes around comes around a right. little bit. So that's my one thing. The other thing I want to say is I'm picturing a parent right now and they see their four-year-old dancing. Right. And we've said this on the show many times, but it bears repeating. Just because your kid likes to dance in the living room doesn't mean they belong in a class. It might mean they might want to do a class. Right. But, but we default on just let them dance in a right. way, because I remember doing that. I don't know if it was dancing or singing. I'm like, oh, let's have her take a class. And Kathy's like, well, maybe she doesn't, and she just keeps dancing. Mm-hmm. So I just want to like send that reframe for anybody out there.
1: Well, we don't have to make our children's creative impulses fit into a box that society says is correct. If a kid is like, I want a class, I want to learn more, I love this teacher, or my friend's taking this class, I want to do it with them, whatever, go for it. Like, this isn't saying don't let them. What it's saying is if your kid is dancing around the house and they're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you're like, I need to get you in a class, and they're like, that's not what I want, listen to them Mm -hmm. because there's something about their expression that feels free. Mm. And once you get into a class, you know, just watch an Abby Lee Miller dance moms for five minutes. You are then criticized perfect it. Not all teachers do this, let me just say. But there is a sense of you need to hit this, you need to do this, you need to look this way. And all of a sudden, those creative impulses can leave you. Now, not all teachers do that. And some allow for a very creative expression, and all they're trying to give you is a structure. Todd, it's funny, because you and I were talking about this idea in terms of um, learning more about a therapeutic skill or learning more about spirituality or learning more about, um, I'm trying to think of how to frame this, learning more about how to teach people to understand consciousness or whatever it may be, is there's a lot of people who think they need no training whatsoever Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or people who think that all they should be offering are, um, you know what? What did you guys call him on that podcast that you did with uh, Chris and Sean, where they were making fun of you because you kept using like foundational ideas,
0: like uh, framework,
1: frameworks. Yeah. That's the, that's the word you guys use. So Todd sometimes when he's teaching uses a lot of frameworks. Like, un- and what is a framework? It's like a way to understand something difficult, like above the line, below the line, mm-hmm. or and he uses things that he learned in his leadership program, and sometimes for me, I'm like, get out of the foundation or get out of that framework and just talk a little more freely. But the truth is, you have to have a framework before you can have the creative impulse mm. of, of talking about it. You have to have like an understanding of what you're talking about, then you can go be free. So sometimes with dance or art, you need to understand how to hold a paintbrush. You need to understand how to maybe for ballet dancers do certain positions. But you could also learn that in your own way, or you could learn that through a YouTube video, or you could learn that through practice uh, on your own or with a friend. So there's different ways depending on what we're talking about here, if it's your career, if it's your joy, um, or both. But I just think that what's most important when it comes to your creative impulses is not stifling them. Mm. That's all like, however, like making things like poetry and discussion and um, whatever feels good is your offering. Mm. So will you play that first um, Ethan Hawke clip from his Ted talk? Because I think he says this.
2: Do you think human creativity matters? Well, hmm, most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about poetry, right? They have a life to live and they're not really that concerned with Allen Ginsberg's poems or anybody's poems until their father dies. They go to a funeral, you lose a child. Um, Somebody breaks your heart, they don't love you anymore. And all of a sudden you're desperate for making sense out of this life. And has anybody ever felt this bad? Before, how did they come out of this cloud? Or the inverse, something great. Um, You meet somebody and your heart explodes. You love them so much you can't even see straight. You know, you're dizzy. Did anybody feel like this before? What is happening to me? And that's when art's not a luxury, it's actually sustenance. We need it. Okay, well, all right.
1: So, I mean, you know, what art does, what creativity does, is it helps us make sense out of the world. And we can do this in one of two ways, or both ways is what I hope, is that I find a lot of solace in words, just like he said, with poetry, with writing, with um, quotes, with um, lines from movies, because I find myself there, Mm. okay? so. I need that when I am struggling, and when I am happy, and when I am unsure, and when I am excited, I look to words to relate to other people, and I need those words through books and poetry and movies and songs and lyrics to see myself, and sometimes it's things I've written, and sometimes it's things other people have written that have been around forever And what I love about the things that have been around forever, you know, like Lao Tzu, you know, like the Tao or, you know, things that we have books I read in the 90s or in the 80s that still make sense to me today or in the 70s is that I see how human it all is, Mm. right? Mm. And so you read these words or I write certain words and I realize how similar they are to other people's words and then I realize I belong and I realize that the experience I'm having and how I'm working through it and the feelings I'm having are supposed to be there because a lot of what our ego tells us is that we're either 100% correct or we're 100% wrong and that we're either good or we're bad, black or white, we're either a good baseball player or a bad one, a good singer or a bad one, and the truth is is none of that is real. What it is is there's, here's this human experience you're having millions of other people in lives way before yours were experiencing it too. And you belong. That's exactly what you should be feeling. You know, it's why during the pandemic, we all were so attracted to that article about, I think it was called, what you're feeling is grief. Mm -hmm. And we were all like, thank you. And then Adam Grant, we talked about this last week, writes this article after, or as we're getting out of the pandemic called, what you're feeling is languishing. And we're like, thank you. Or then Rob Bell gave us the language of, do you feel like you're getting an upgrade? Mm -hmm. And we're like, thank you. And that is my favorite teaching and my favorite offering when I write is if I can say something that someone says, oh, that's what I'm experiencing then it's the most fun thing because I know that because I go after other people's words. So my point is, is then what if that, what if Ted, what if people didn't decide to not be creative and share their story through writing lyrics? Yeah. I'm
0: trying to feel, I feel like there's movies where, where the human race lost its ability to create because we think of it as a luxury and what Ethan Hawk like one of my hopes of recording this podcast is that everybody goes and listens yeah, to this. it's about ten, 10 minutes long. It's 10 minutes long. Yeah. It will help your day. Yeah. Believe me. Yeah. Um, and I can't place the movie, or maybe there is no movie, and I'm just making it up in my mind. But, um. you know, we have this uh idea that it's not something that's necessary, and then when it's gone, you realize how much you miss it. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, you're talking about... You're like, there's a movie about it. I think every movie about people who are, who have lost themselves, it's because they don't have that, mm-hmm. that creative, that connection to people, that um, ability to share from their heart because that's where joy comes from. So go let's go back to Petra Conti's um, quote from that life force thing that I wrote. You know, I don't know if the gift of dancing is for other people to enjoy or for me to live. Do I dance for the people or do I dance for my own well-being? It's like you're dancing for your own well-being and then that gives to the people. Well, and what I want to say,
0: and this is, I guess, timely, um, when I think of creativity or poetry, I think of love and Mm -hmm. flowers and all that. And yesterday we went to see the Quiet Place Part Two. A Quiet Place. Oh, sorry, A Quiet Place Part Two.
1: I wrote that down too because I wanted to mention that. Yeah. And uh, uh,
0: John Krasinski wrote it, directed it, and it's a scary, terrifying, intense, amazing sequel. Mm-hmm. And I, what I want to say is that that's creativity too. Mm-hmm. And I know you're not saying that that it's just love and roses, but like sometimes the darkest, you know, I think a lot of musicians do what I what I would think is their best writing when they're in these moments. You know, the first album is sometimes the best. Of course. Because they don't have anything and they're in pain and they're not a rock star and they're getting rejected by their, whoever they're trying to date. Right. And that that pain turns into art. And then a lot of the times, the good ones can keep doing it, but there, a lot of them can't because they get rich and famous and they realize that... The pain was what inspired them.
1: It was the pain and the freedom of expression without believing you were competing. Like, you know, that's why a lot of albums writers are like the sophomore slump, right? Because you were so free on that first album. You know, think about um, Alanis Morissette's Mm. album where she was like, this is just going to be the jagged little pill. You know, this is going to be. You know, I'm going to work with you know this guy who's an amazing songwriter. We're just going to put it all out there, and then they're like, "Okay, do it again, do mm-hmm. it again." Or I'm thinking my friend um, who we've had on the show, Ria Fry, who has a podcast that I love. She's a writer, and she just talks about how her first novel that she wrote, fiction novel, just. Flew out of her, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, "Wait, but you got a four-book deal, Mm -hmm. so now write another one. Now write another one." And it's and it's such a or any movie writer or any um, poetry writer, they're like, "You got to put out another book." When it's forced and it's for the machine and it's part of the capitalism that we live in. It's not quite creativity anymore, is it?
0: Well, and sprinkle in some expectations, too. If you have a good first album, and then all of a sudden you're expected to do it over again, and you lived the first 20 years of your life creating this first album right. now you got nine months to create the second one you can only imagine why that might be
1: difficult and now you're competing now it's like well that was number one on the billboard or mm-hmm. that was number one on the new york times bestseller and you got to do that again so now you don't need to be creative you need to be the best mm-hmm. and if you are the th- if you get a book that's third on the billboard or on the new york you're times bestseller, you're just you're not as good so I wanted to say something though about um, Quiet Place. A Quiet Place is that that movie, as we know, um, this is why we love that movie. And I will say, first of all, my daughter wanted us to watch A Quiet Place one last week. And the thing that I probably struggle with the most as far as my own mental well being is I do have anxiety that can be, I have to do many things during the day to keep myself level, right? Um, cause I tend to go from zero, you know, like I have lots of feelings. Um, you do? I do. And so I need to kind of keep hold things together with more quiet and more plants and flowers and writing and stuff. Okay. So when she's like, let's watch a quiet place. And I knew what that movie was about. I'm like, no way. Why would I do that to myself? But why I do it to myself is cause then I get to be with my husband and my, two of my girls who wanted to watch it. So I did. And I, You know, I struggled and talked during it and said, why am I watching this? But the truth was the movie was about these people and their love for each other. And it was not about the creatures. Mm. Okay. And it was about their family. And it was about what you do for your family. And it's about um, how you grow as a person and what you're willing to do for other people. It's The whole movie is heart right? Mm-hmm. With little creatures. That, well, they're not little. Big, scary creatures. I kept thinking they were spiders. Anyway, yeah. so then at the end of that movie, and those of you who have seen A Quiet Place 1, you know the last scene of that movie where you're like, oh my God, this is so good. So of course, we get A Quiet Place 2. It was our first time in a movie theater, which was amazing in the, in the last year, mm-hmm. right? And there was like two other people in the theater, but we basically had it to ourselves. Felt and good. It w- It did. It was so good to be in a movie theater. And then it was, he did a great job. They all did such a great job with this second movie. There's more action, of course, blah, blah, blah. They had more money to do it. But same heart, mm. you know, same kind of like you're feeling these people and you're feeling their love for each other. And then I just was, I, I'm surprised I'm recommending these movies
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I, they are not my, jo- my genre typical, yeah. typically. Um, but I felt them. And I was fine. I didn't think about it at night. It didn't keep me up at night. So when people are like, it's a horror movie, I cried for the first five minutes of the second one. (laughs) Cameron's like, what are you doing? I was sobbing. But that's because they were showing them before. Mm. And you see them as you. And you see how you could go from being at a baseball game to yellow stuff coming across the sky. Yeah. And that's what bothered me. But the rest of it felt very empowering. So anyway, so there's a perfect example of like, John Krasinski wrote this movie, right?
0: Yeah, it's art. And it scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> and it moved me and it was wonderful.
1: And he wrote it because he had children. Yeah. He was he and Emily Blunt, who is his wife, they were starting a family. And he was starting to realize what you would actually do for your kids. Yeah. And then it turned into this more like this movie that is more about um, you know, has, has more spider-like creatures in it, but that holds our attention. It has all the pieces. So anyway, ready for a second yes, clip?
2: Go. here on this star in space to try to help one another, right? And first we have to survive and then we have to thrive and to thrive, to express ourselves. All right, well, here's the road. We have to know ourselves. What do you love? And if you get close to what you love, who you are is revealed to you, and it expands. For me, it was really easy. I did my first professional play. I was 12 years old. I was in a play called St. Joan by George Bernard Shaw at the MacArthur Theater. And boom, I was in love. My world just expanded. And that profession, I'm almost 50 now, that profession has never stopped giving back to me. And it gives back more and more, mostly strangely through the characters that i've played good
1: yeah because he's going to get into the next one is about the characters he's yeah. played so when you you know if if you listen to zen parenting radio for 10 years you have to know yourself first you have before you can figure out your kids you've got to know yourself first before you can have a good in-depth conversation with your partner where you understand them and listen to them you have to know yourself first Will you know yourself completely where you won't make any mistakes? No, because your inner knowing and who you are is always evolving and you are by definition a living conversation um, that is continuing to learn and grow and deal with old trauma and deal with something that happened five minutes ago and deal with future fears. So it's not that you're going to know yourself in this like, this is it, this is who I am, there's nothing else. You're always changing, but you have to know the basics (laughs) at least of this is what makes me tick. So ready for my hypothesis? Let's hear it.
0: So Ethan Hawke got his world kind of expanded in a moment when he did the play at 12 years old. You know, when I listened to that, I'm like, yeah, but that never happened to me. So, you know, good for you, Ethan, but that never happened to me. My hypothesis is it probably did happen to me and I wasn't listening Mm. and he did, he was listening. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I can't like, okay, what was my Ethan Hawke moment where like, boom, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I don't know if I ever had that.
1: So one thing that I could offer, because we used to talk about this in Women's Circle about um, passions Mm -hmm. and knowing what your passion is versus not. And there's this whole talk that Elizabeth Gilbert did that's a good 20 minutes. So I'm gonna encapsulate it with this. Elizabeth Gilbert used to give these presentations all the time about you've got to find your passion because she's a writer and that's she fell in love just like Ethan Hawke did with writing and you got to go after it and you got to go after it. A bunch of people start going to her talks and they're saying you're making me feel like crap mm, because I don't know what that is. Yeah. What she realized is that she this is her language. There's two different people in life. You're either a jackhammer, mm. you're like on one thing, or you're a hummingbird, mm. which is you try different things and that's your love. Mm. Is that you have what is what she describes as an innate curiosity to try this and to try this. And maybe there's a a thread of continuance, like, you know, you stay in the arts or you stay in business or you stay in, you know, specifically in dance but that she realized that not everybody has the experience that she did or Ethan Hawke did. And you probably had a lot of little loves and you then like a hummingbird, because what a hummingbird do? It passes the pollen from thing to thing to thing mm-hmm. and actually then brightens the world that way.
0: Mm, I like it. Isn't I that actually good? just pulled up the sounds of hummingbirds. I have no idea what I'm about oh, to play. Their
1: wings maybe?
0: Yeah, I like it when they just fly. It goes. They, woo, yeah. But he's just standing there, so maybe this is a bad clip. Come on, fly, buddy. <laughs>
1: oh. There it is. You hear that? Yeah.
0: Um, no. Oh. And that makes me feel better yes. because I do have my hands in about eighty-five different things. Exactly. So that that does help. Thanks, sweetie.
1: Yeah, and no problem. Um, and I think. Um, so she it's actually if you guys want to find that, um, it was it's on Oprah.com or maybe it's on it's even on YouTube. Elizabeth Gilbert, don't chase your passion, and maybe you'll find it, mm. I think is what it's called. I'll so, find it and
0: put in the show showcase okay. Don't Chase Your Passion.
1: Yeah, because basically she realized that she was that what she was sharing is her experience is not everybody's experience. Mm. Um and sometimes you find those things later, like I as a kid only wanted to be creative. And I feel like, and again, I'm going to like, you know, play the the violin for me. I didn't really have any help. Mm -hmm. So I would have, one thing I did have that was helpful is I had this big box of creative stuff like felt and markers. Isn't it fun? Isn't that so 80s felt? Mm -hmm. Do you remember like cutting out felt? Um, And all of this, all these things. And I would try to make things. And sometimes they would look good. And sometimes I just didn't have, again, those foundational skills. I didn't have the right scissors. Mm -hmm. I didn't have, so I was always like running into walls. Like I'd be almost done and it'd be like, I don't have this last nail or whatever. And I didn't have a way to access that. You know, it wasn't like today where you go on Amazon and order something. And I used to like try and fly with like umbrellas and like Um, fly swatters, you know, I'd like try and jump from things and like fly. Oh,
0: you little sweetheart. I
1: know, by myself, right? Um, And so, and I always said Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a writer. I always said I wanted to be an artist. I always said all these creative things that were really who I was. And then, you know, then you get into school, Mm -hmm. right? And that doesn't, I wasn't the best at it. Mm -hmm. Meaning I was, it was just, it wasn't that kind of thing where you're like, wow, this person like look at what they've done, or look, you know, maybe the classes they've taken. Sweetie,
0: in the words of Mister Miyagi, there's always someone
1: better. Correct, and there were plenty. Yeah, and people don't have a hard time telling you that. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't good enough. You're you're cut from this. You're not going to be in this class. Um, or I don't even remember a lot of that. I remember a lot of self. Sabotage, Yeah,
0: yeah. uh, Self-criticism versus outside people telling you you're no good. I mean, I'm sure we all have a bunch of those stories, but it was more an internal dialogue. It was internal.
1: It were like you were in an art class. And Skylar and I talk about this a lot. An art teacher says, do this project this way. Mm -hmm. And so you do it this way, but maybe it has a little like flair of you and they're like, you did it wrong, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting, right? For art. And again, art teachers, I get it. You're trying to teach the foundational skills. Yeah. I'm not criticizing art teachers as a whole, because I do it as a teacher sometimes myself too, with writing or mm-hmm. whatever. But isn't that interesting how that can make a kid go, well, I must not be good at art then? Yeah. When really their creative flair or their difference in the way they see it is what makes it art. Yeah. So anyway, you know, now flash forward however many years. And I actually can I tell like a really quick story of something that you I realized? Sure. Is that I was just telling Todd that something that I figured out through EMDR, which I do, um, is that I was having this, and I, I don't even know where to start with this, so I'll make it really short. I was having this EMDR experience where I kept having these thoughts about songwriters and that. I basically what I was thinking to myself is everybody has to pretend all the time except for songwriters. And and if anyone's done EMDR, you know that your thoughts just and your feelings and your images just come like you're not doing it. It's just coming. And then all of a sudden, what I ended up at eventually was that I realized that as a kid, I thought I had to pretend a lot, but I realized that artists didn't. I realized that songwriters, people who did movies, um, you know, Basically, anybody writers they didn't have to pretend they got to be real, so they became like surrogate parents for me. Where I would go to a movie or I would listen to a song, and I would feel reflected back because they were telling the truth. And we accepted. I feel like that's my version of people who find AA, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: who's like they're like, oh, you know, people tell the truth here. Well, people tell the truth in a song, but then if you met that songwriter, they'd probably be really not willing to share that part of their heart, but through a song they do. Yeah, it's
0: safer. Well, and you see sometimes artists, um, they're like withdrawn um, in person, but on stage they let it all out.
1: And so I could see, and and in movies too, you could see someone have an experience where you go, I have that experience too, but human beings don't talk about it till it's put through art. Sure. And so it became a surrogate parent for me, thank goodness, and it still is for me. um, And that- I think it is for a lot of people. I think that's art. I think it, we see ourselves, but I realized how important that was. And it's why, you know, why quotes and books and movies and music are so important to me personally in that it's not about keeping up with trends. It's about staying
2: alive. (laughs) Um, So why don't you play the next clip? All right, here we go. I've played cops. I've played criminals. I've played priests. I've played sinners And the magic of this. over a lifetime, over 30 years of doing this, is that you start to see that my experiences, me, Ethan, is not nearly as unique as I thought. I have so much in common with all these people. And so they have something in common with me. You start to see how connected we all are. My grandmother, my great-grandmother, Della Hall. Is that good?
1: Yeah, because then he goes into another story. So again, Through creativity and art, we begin to see you know what scene I'm thinking of, Todd? Mm. If we want to use movies. We talked about Ferris Bueller's uh, Ferris Bueller last week. And we the scene where they're in the art museum in Chicago. Mm. And Cameron is looking at that painting. Yeah. And, you know, he's getting down to the dots of the painting. And he's looking at a person, but then getting down to the dots. And We don't have to know exactly what Cameron is thinking in that scene to relate to what he's experiencing, which is what am I? Mm. Who am I? How am I like this? What am I feeling? What are the dots of me? And nobody, you know, oh, yes, that's the song that's playing. Nobody has to, like, explain that to us, right? Sorry. No, no, don't apologize. I like it.
0: He's looking at the dots. He's looking at the painting right now. But this is always an interesting part of the movie because it's comedy and all of a sudden John Hughes goes deep.
1: It is a comedy, but is it? Mm, right. Like, Sweet uh,
0: Cameron. It's a movie about Cameron.
1: And A Quiet Place is a horror movie, but is it?
0: Yeah, it's about a family. Exactly. Um, yeah, we have to um, do a pop culture up Paris Bueller. Skyler just told us that it's her favorite movie. She's only watched it like twice. <laughs>
1: Well, she I think she and your sister watched it,
0: oh, and they know.
1: really um, loved it.
0: Paris Bieler, you're my hero.
1: It holds up. It's it probably does. the best John Hughes movie as far as having your kids see it because no, some of the other movies are so rough.
0: Sweet, I think you forgot a little movie I like to call Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah. that's the adult version of John Hughes. I'm talking about the teenage movies. I hear you.
0: Um, Should we go to the next one? Which is right behind it. And I think this is the one clip I wanted to play too.
2: Okay, good. Our life is so short and how we spend it. Are we spending it doing what's important to us? Most of us not. I mean, it's hard. it's hard. The pull of habit is so huge. And that's what makes kids so beautifully creative, is that they don't, they don't have any habits. And they don't care if they're any good or not, right? They're not, you know, they're not building a sandcastle going, I think I'm going to be a really good sandcastle builder. You know, they just, they throw themselves at whatever project you put in front of them. Dancing, doing a painting, you know, building something. Any opportunity they have, they try to use it to impress upon you their individuality right? It's so beautiful. Is that good? Sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, well why don't you explain why that was important to you? Actually, that
2: wasn't the part that I wanted to play. It was
0: the part where he and his cousin or brother go to see Top Gun.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I
0: love that. Which is good. But I don't know where that is. I thought that was at that timestamp that you did, but it doesn't matter. So,
1: I, I did not timestamp that, but you could tell that story really quickly.
0: Well, he and his brother go in and watch Top Gun and they both get blown away, but they get blown away for very different reasons. Ethan Hawke left the theater thinking, I'm going to do that for a living. And his brother said he wants to join the military. And his brother did that and- Became a leader. Became a leader and then gave back through the military- of uh, helping uh, children of uh, fallen soldiers, yeah. so they used the art in two completely different ways. You know, you could say military, like it's there to defend, to to support, to um, make the people with less power safe or whatever. Um, and then acting, it's a whole different ballgame. But it's both with the intent to spread. Whatever it is, that's their gift.
1: And, you know, leadership, and he says this, um, is creativity in itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this this is why it becomes paradoxical, these frameworks that we learn, or when anybody says, this is how you do something. Sometimes that can be your platform to get started. But then once you become or you get the ability to do something through work or through the arts or through your parenting... You might have gotten in the door with the framework, but then it's up to you. Mm -hmm. Then you are the life force that it's going through. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I, and, and so it's paradoxical in that the framework is good and the creativity is good, right? And that's why I always say that I have an office, I have two offices full of books, some of them parenting, some of them not. And I also don't love parenting books both things are true, which is I love frameworks. And I also believe you have to break frameworks Mm. because how then do we not let our creativity go through it? Like how do we, like when I'm with my girls and something's happening, which there always is something, I have got to rely on my instincts and they may be different than what Todd would do. And they may be different than what my next door neighbor would do or than what my parents would do. But if I know myself and I know this person, then I I can feel what's important right now, which is the book may say, take the phone away. Or the book may say, you know, have the little kids sit in a timeout or a chill out or whatever the language is these days. Have, you know... Do this and say this, but if that doesn't work in the moment because of you and who your child is, then it doesn't work. And you do something creative, which maybe your kid is really struggling and they need a hug. You know, they need to be hugged and they need to have a good cry, and they don't need a teaching you know, teaching moment. They need a compassionate moment, and I feel like we know those things, mm-hmm. but we overwrite it because we'll say, "Well, but I don't want them to think." That, that they won, or I don't want them to think that I'm not teaching them something, or I don't wanna feel like I'm not a good parent. So we override these, what I would call, creative impulses toward love and connection, and we do something that a book told us to do. Yeah. And then you wonder why you feel disconnected from yourself and your kid. It's because you're not listening to yourself.
0: Right, you're doing what somebody else is telling you to do.
1: Exactly, and so does that mean that the author who wrote the book was wrong? No, maybe in their experience, this thing worked. And what does work mean? They got their needs met. Mm -hmm. But maybe your child isn't the child they worked with. Maybe this is a different time. Like we don't consider all these other variables. Well, it
0: reminds, you know, on Team Zen, uh, we're actually doing a Team Zen, uh, Zen talk this morning. And it's funny, maybe you've said this the whole time since we've been doing this podcast, sweetie, but, you know, sometimes team members say, this is what's happening with my kid. What do I do? And recently it's been echoing in my mind. One thing that you respond with is, I don't know, because I don't know your kid. Correct. I say that a lot. And that's such a wonderful kind of like quick way to say, we'll, we'll give you maybe some ideas, Mm -hmm. but our ideas might be horrible depending on what your kid is going through or the personality type of your kid or the wounds that you experienced as a parent. Our advice might be the absolute worst thing to do. So it's idea of trusting your gut and your intuition. And I think a lot of times people bypass our own intuition and just say, tell me what to do. I know I do that.
1: Well, and people want the quick answer. We were just talking about that with the text that I got where you were like, why is that person calling you and not me? I'm like, they want me to give them an answer, which I can't do. Mm -hmm. But when people ask for help, and they'll say what do i do in this situation with my kid i don't have any answer to that but i can say to them um you know what are you feeling about this or what's going on inside of you or how can you present in such a way where you're being thoughtful about your energy or what's the best time to have this discussion or how can you keep this conversation going i can help that parent be it, for lack of a better way to say it, their best selves mm-hmm. when dealing with this so they have a clear head and a very like engaged prefrontal cortex yeah. where they're not flying off the handle. But how do I, in quotes, get your kid to do something? I, That's, that's way above my pay grade. Yeah. And that should be above everybody's pay grade. Sure. You know, because... As even as a parent, why are you trying to get your kid to do something? (laughs) You know, like, I understand you're like, because I want them to put their shoes away. But how about instead having a conversation about where we can set your shoes, how we can practice this, reminders, like forcing is, it can have a back. Sure. You know, what am I trying to say? That can um, backslide on you. Mm -hmm. So, because that can hurt your connection. Um, And then we're now going down a path where people are going to be like, but when do I set limits and boundaries? And, you know, that's why we've been doing
2: show for 10 years. Get on the Zen Talk
0: and ask (laughs) us that question.
2: You ready for the last clip? Sure. Good things happen. So if you want to help your community, if you want to help your family, if you want to help your friends, you have to express yourself. And to express yourself, you have to know yourself. It's actually super easy. You just have to follow your love, right? There is no path. There's no path until you walk it. And you have to be willing to play the fool. So don't, you know, read the book that you should read. Read the book you want to read. Don't listen to the music that you used to like. You know, take some time to listen to some new music. Take some time to talk to somebody that you don't normally talk to. I guarantee if you do that, you will feel foolish. That's the point. And then he... Strums
0: his guitar and plays this quick verse of the song. And it's really quite beautiful.
1: About playing the fool. Yeah. And when he says, you'll feel foolish, you'll feel, I would use the clinical language of vulnerable.
0: Put yourself out there.
1: Unsure. Um, You know, I, um, you know, and again, my, my experience with creativity is writing and every week I write something and share it. And it's usually a personal experience and I don't know, because it's an email, I don't really know how people feel about it. I mean, I get emails back occasionally yeah. oh, and no, people no. subscribe, but, but I don't know you're how your, it lands. You're putting yourself out there. And that's the thing is that that now through practice, that's not hard for me mm-hmm. because I know that all I'm doing is sharing my experience. I'm not telling you what to do. Right. I'm saying, here's something I saw. Here's something I feel. Um, because that's the only way, like, you know, in when Todd and I are going through something with our family or we're struggling or the thing that does not leave for me is writing. Like I figure out a way to do it. And that tells me so much about myself is that that is the way that I make sense of the world. That's not the truth for everybody. Some people I suggest journaling to, including my children, sometimes they're like, that's not the way I process. Mm -hmm. So my, so if I was to go around the world and say, everyone needs to write and everyone needs to journal, that's not fair because for other people, it may be completely different things, but going to Ethan Hawke's point is what do you love? What can you not live without? What books do you You know, play the game of what book would you take to a a deserted island? Mm -hmm. And don't say a book that makes everyone feel good. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, a war and peace. Mm -hmm. You know, like what book would you really take? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. You know? That's what I would do. I know you would. That's
0: why I I said that one. Um, Regarding playing the fool, with that in mind, because it's very safe and easy for you and I, I I would judge, for us to do this podcast. We've been doing it 10 years. It's safe. It's fun.
1: Was it safe the first time? No, it wasn't. Right. Um, but as
0: a result of this Men Living meeting that we did last summer, we had a bunch of crafts and scissors and paper and mm. felt and pens and papers, and I wrote a poem. And I just pulled it up on the blog, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to play the fool here.
2: Okay, I want All to right? hear
0: it. So uh, maybe you read this, sweetie. I don't I know did, if you did. I did, but i read it again. And it's called I'm In. And this was I wrote this within the context of the two-hour meeting after we watched the Ethan Hawke TED Talk. We are a community of men. We give and we get. We share. We share laughter. We share grunts. We share groans. We experience uncomfortable meetings and uncomfortable moments. We experience order, disorder and reorder. This is tough, terrifying guts, heart wrenching clearings. If we're doing it right, it's messy. Can we embrace it? untapped anger, unrealized sadness, reluctant fear, paralyzing shame. But there's gold on the other side. There's exhilarating friendship and deep connection. There's the almighty king, the mysterious magician, the powerful warrior, and the unconditional lover. Are you brave enough to step into this familiar world that you have since forgotten? Drop your sword and your shield, take off your mask, and show us who you are. Amen. Mm. Yeah, I liked it.
1: I like it a lot.
0: So I think that was like my version of encapsulating what being in this group has meant for the last eight years. And some of it's kind of like inside language, I guess, but I think most people can read it and kind of get the gist. So,
1: Todd, I'm going to grade that poem yes, and give it a the, B plus On
0: the whatchamacallit scale from <laughs> Dead Poets Society. Totally. I do want to close this meeting with... What meeting? Uh, or, this podcast <laughs> with 60 seconds from our favorite teacher, John Keating.
1: Keating from Dead Poets yeah, Society. Yeah, absolutely, and that's perfect that it's because that's Ethan Hawke's teacher.
0: And I just wonder how much of an influence Dead Poets Society and Robin Williams had on Ethan Hawke. I'm guessing quite a bit.
1: Well, you heard that story that they didn't like that that Ethan Hawke thought that Robin Williams hated him. Ah. Because Robin Williams was really hard on him because Ethan Hawke came into that movie young and was trying to be the serious actor. Mm-hmm. And and so Robin Williams – and if you guys remember his character in Dead Poet Society, he is kind of the more introverted, quiet kid. And so Robin Williams kind of picked on him on purpose to kind of get a good acting um, mm. performance out of him but also because he was like quit being so serious and above above it. Yeah. But then what Ethan Hawke said is he left the movie and he thought, oh, Robin Williams doesn't really like me. And then he got a phone call, I don't know however many months later, and it was an agent saying, "I want to represent you mm-hmm. and it was one of the big agents and he's like, "Why are you calling me?" And he said, "Robin Williams told me to call mm-hmm. you. so you know it's interesting what people want to bring out in us. Robin Williams saw something in him, mm-hmm. and maybe it felt like he was being hard on him, but really he saw his talent and wanted him to be freer, yeah in that like in that moment, sure so I love this
0: conversation. I could do this for two more hours. I know. So before I play uh, Robin Williams, John Keating and Dead Poet Society, a few things. Jeremy Kraft, he is our friend, our dear friend, our bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, avidco.net, 630-956-1800. If there's any men listening, go to menliving.org and check out what we're doing and send me an email and say, I'm interested and we'll have a chat. Or and then I also do life. So this is my hummingbirds because I got my mm-hmm. got my beak in a lot of different worlds. Um, I'm beak. also do hummingbirds have beaks? I
1: mean, it's just a funny word. It's like me saying harken back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know beak.
0: I um, okay, keep going. Uh, I'm a life and leadership coach for guys. So if there's any guys that want some support and work on themselves to be the best person they could be, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And in closing, here John Keating will take us out.
3: We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. In medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse what will your verse be
1: thanks for listening everyone don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and feel free to leave a five-star review it helps people find us
0: Hey, looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents? Join Team Zen, where you'll get zero pressure and 100% support. First month's free if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. Go to zenparentingradio.com.
1: Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe.
0: A special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low pressure, 75 minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org.
1: Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And
0: don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. Uh, he is a bald head of beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicago and area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.